610 Sports Radio, the Odyssey app. However you choose to listen, we thank you. My name is Christian Ocero. Filling in for Dusty today. Well, tonight. Blake Schneiders is producing this operation on the other side. Blake, how's it how's it going this afternoon? What's going on, my brother? How we doing today? It's good. It's good. Uh, We got home run derby. Going on in about an hour. It'll start on ESPN. Uh, no Royals in it tonight. So not going to be as exciting as it was a year ago. Salvi was in it last year. They didn't really seem to care. But uh, we were absolutely following it. We'll keep you updated throughout the show. Like I said, it starts at 7 o'clock. Uh, we'll follow it all the way through until the end of the show at 9. Uh on Friday, I, I was starting to put together the show. And I just remember, I was like, what the hell am I going to talk about? Because, like, if you ever listen to sports radio this time of year, it's a little, it's a little tough. A little, it's a little tough for us to find stuff to talk about other than, like, the same old, same old chief stuff because the Royals aren't very good. Uh, and this right here is, like, considered the worst time of the, of the year for sports talk. Because football season is, is a little bit tough. And unless you've got a winning baseball team or an NBA team that is uh, in play in your city, then you're going to have a hard time finding stuff to talk about. This, this, is, a, this is the teeth cutting area yeah, of any sports. This is where we have to get creative. This is where we have to, like, find some interesting things to talk about. But, man, the last three days have been eventful, have had numerous stories. Numerous observations to be had. And so I am excited to do this show. And the show basically wrote itself. I actually had to rewrite it this afternoon because more stuff happened. Uh, like Chiefsaholic getting busted in California. We will play the interview that Jay Binkley had earlier on the drive with Amy Dash, the Odyssey legal expert. So stay tuned for that. That'll be at 630 a very informative interview that has been one of the biggest stories in Chiefs Kingdom ever since the uh, ever since the beginning of the year. So definitely stick around for that. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald, head coach, Northwestern, just got fired not too long ago. Uh, I didn't even know that he had got fired until I walked into the studio a few minutes ago and Bink told me because I was like, I was like, I was going to, you know, he got to get fired. Well, now he is gone. So we'll talk about that later on this hour. Uh, obviously, tons of Chiefs talk. But I, I, I'm going to start at a place that I did not think I would be starting at on Friday when I was beginning to put together this show. And I'm going to talk baseball here. Baseball, Major League Baseball has made a lot of changes this year in an attempt to better this sport. They have instituted a pitch clock. They have banned the shift, and they have, I mean, I think it was a couple years ago, they instituted the extra runner at uh, second base and extra innings. 
And I think those, I, I was a little, I was a little iffy on those changes when they were first announced, when they first started trying them out in the minor leagues. But man, I, I got to say this, baseball has had some wins this year. Baseball hasn't had a lot of wins the last few years. Haven't done the best job at keeping the sport modern. I mean, their sports has been behind on, on basically everything for the longest time. Uh, they still are struggling with, with marketing their stars, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But I want to give baseball credit. Major League Baseball has done a great job with the pitch clock. The pitch clock, I, I can tell you this because if you have been listening to Royals games here on the station since 2014, uh, there's not a person that has produced more Royals games than me. I have produced more Royals games than anybody here at 610. I have been here for many a game, and I have been here for many a long baseball game. A lot of three-hour games, a lot of three-and-a-half, four-hour baseball games. It seemed like in 2015, I had basically every extra innings game that they played that year. And it was, it was tough. Some of them games were tough. Sitting there for an hour, 90 minutes. They come back out there, had to play another four innings, five innings. It was tough. It was, it was really difficult. I'm sure – I mean, I, I wasn't here for that – whatever, whatever with that game against the Cardinals – I think that was 2013 or I think it was 2013 or 2014 when they played till like two in the morning. I was not here for that, luckily, but I've been here for a lot of these games and the pitch clock has been so good for the game. So much more fluid. The, I I feel like the game has a little bit more life to it. The only time I think the pitch clock is could ever be a detriment is in the playoffs, World Series, because I like the drama in between pitches. But I, I really do think that that has been a big change. The Royals games are, are, are a lot shorter now. Uh, a lot of it is because they can't hit. But they've done a really good job at getting these games down to like two and a half hours, which, I mean, unless you're football, you probably shouldn't have a three-hour game for your sport. Three hours is is... Uh, football is the only sport I think that nowadays can get away with it. NBA, their games are done in like two and a half hours. Soccer games are done in less than two hours. Baseball, it was, it was time for them to start shaving off some of the fat there. And I think they've done a great job with it. The sport, I think, is much better for it. I think there's a lot more action now. There's a lot less time where you can look at your phone because something is happening a lot more often in that sport. So I, I got to give them credit for that. First half of the season, the pitch clock has been a major, major win for them. But I still think, and I've said this for years, if you listen to me right around this time of year, every year, I usually am very critical of Major League Baseball's marketing of their stars. Last year, late last year, with the the home run race, them trying to rewrite history with Aaron Judge, they did a great job with it. ESPN did a great job with it. It was interesting to watch. It sucked when they tried to break into the college football games to show us Aaron Judge taking at-bats. That was, that was a terrible broadcasting decision by the worldwide leader. But that chase was one of the more interesting things in sports at that time, and it was a, good, it was a win for baseball. And baseball right now doesn't get a whole lot of them because football, basketball, you know, a lot of these other sports are starting are, are really starting to to build some distance between themselves and and Major League Baseball. But the Aaron Judge situation was great. 
I think Shohei Otani, especially since the World Baseball Classic, has really like reached that superstar level. I don't think they've quite pushed him enough since then. I mean, at the time, World Baseball Classic, that that great duel with Mike Trout uh, in the in the championship game, like that was nice. I don't think they've done enough quite with that, but they got a chance right now. There's this kid for the Cincinnati Reds named Ellie De La Cruz, and this kid looks like a train a, a, a transcending. I, I, I'm messing up the word. Uh, he looks like a, a generational talent in that sport. Obviously, it's very early. I think he's only been up for like a month. But in a month, he has done what even like a guy like Bobby Witt Jr. hasn't been able to do in, in a couple years now in, in the majors, which is establish himself as a star outside of his local market. We talk about Ellie De La Cruz here on the station. Uh, people all over the country are talking about this guy on national radio, on local radio. I mean, this kid is a superstar. And it is just, it's crazy how he's just kind of come out of nowhere in a sport that's so local and has become a star. Listen to this. Like, this this cut here was making its rounds all throughout TV and radio. This is Ellie De La Cruz this past weekend basically stealing the entire diamond after after getting on base. De La Cruz goes. Pitch called a strike. Throw down on a skip late. Another steal for Ellie De La Cruz. He takes off again. Pitch down and in. Fame throw. There's no chance. Well, Two steals. De La Cruz had already looked a couple of times at Brian Anderson knowing that if he got a jump, he's going to the throw, he stole home! The most thrilling man in baseball stole second, third, and home! This kid's a rookie. He's been up for like a month. And already he's become the biggest story in the game. They got to promote the hell out of this guy. We got to see him on the TV. They got to get him in commercials. They got to do the same thing with him that the NFL has done with Patrick Mahomes that they're starting to do with Josh Allen, that they're starting to do with Joe Burrow, and they got to put him out there. they got to put his name out there. we got to see him marketed more. Like, he has to be a draw for that sport. They're going to put him on more national TV games. I don't care if the Reds are good. I just want to see Ellie De La Cruz play baseball. The crazy part is the Reds are good because they yeah, were no. at the bottom of the division last exactly. year. And this guy is not only running on the back of the Rockets that are the Cincinnati Reds, but he is giving life into baseball, like you said. And, and that's the thing that they got to promote more. Like, Bobby Wood Jr. should be featured a little bit more. Like, is he, is he like this great sensation on the sport right now? No. He is, he is turned, he's turning into a, a very good player. He's not a great player, but you can see it. His defense is getting a lot better now. He's already been a good base runner. Um, and his bats got to get a little bit better average-wise. But you can see it. Like, he's, got a little, he's starting to get a little bit more power now. I think he's got, what, 14 home runs on the year? So he's really starting to kind of flesh out that, that foundation. And I, I really think that, like, guys like that, they got to promote more. They got to push them. Hey, become more of a personality. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't, it didn't work with Mike Trout. Mike Trout's a great player. They, they tried to make him a star early in his career. He wasn't about it. And that's fine. That's his choice. But you got to find some guys that are willing to be that star. And if Ellie De La Cruz is willing to be that star, promote him, push him out there. Because 
Every other sport out here that is more successful than Major League Baseball is doing that. You know what the MLS is going to do now that they've got uh, Lionel Messi? They're going to put him everywhere. He's going to be in every commercial. Like, uh, seriously, Apple is going to pay so much money to market him because they want people to pay to watch him on their service. So that's going to be something that that you're going to need baseball to, to really improve. I think they've done some good jobs with some other changes here. But I, I do think they've got to get better in that regard. Now, before we get to a break, I, I want to talk about the other baseball story, the big baseball story here in Kansas City, which is the Major League Baseball draft. It, uh, it started last night. Um, I tweeted out last night that every year, the Major League Baseball draft gets a tiny bit better, just very slowly gets it gets better every year. Not any major improvements, just every year, excuse me, one small change every year. And originally this was done in a studio. And then now this year, I remember I turned it on when I got home after doing the Royals game yesterday and they had it at Lumen Field with the Seahawks play and they were on the field and they had, I don't know if those are real fans or, you know, like those super fans who like get flown out or whatever for exposure or whatever. Or maybe they're paid actors. I don't know. I don't know. But like they, they had some people out there who seemed to be digging the whole experience. They had their little desk out there on the field in front of the stage and they had Manfred coming out and doing the announcement like it was important and all of that. And it felt it. This is the first time to me it felt like a draft. Now it's never going to be as big as the uh, NFL draft, the NBA draft, etc. It's never going to be that because we don't know who the hell these guys are, and we're not going to know who they are for years because it's going to take them a while to get to the majors. Uh, but the Royals made their pick, and they took uh, a catcher at a high school named Blake Mitchell. And there were a lot of Royals fans that were not happy about this pick. They were not happy about it at all. And, uh, you know, there's the, the statistic about, you know, since 2010, there's been 10 catchers who were taken in the first round out of high school. And I think only five of them made it to the, to the pros. And only two of them are what you would consider good a lot. I mean, a lot of those guys end up having to make position changes. Mike Moustakis was a high school catcher. He had to transition over to third base. He was very successful at it. But there were a lot of Royals fans that felt some type of way about Blake Mitchell. Blake obviously was asked about that. And here's what he had to say about the uh, mini controversy here in Kansas City. Yeah, you know, I think it's a great fit. You know, they're probably the best fit out of all three teams. So, you know, I'm glad they picked me. I'm going to be a great leader for that organization. Yeah, you know, the whole demographic is, you know, high school catchers are risk and things like that. So, you know, I'm hoping I can change that and just, you know, prove, prove that high school catchers can go out there and play ball too. Now, I ain't going to tell you this kid's going to be good. I've never heard of the kid other than me reading a list of, reading some mock drafts over the last month or so. I don't watch high school baseball. So I can't give you any in-depth analysis. I'll be shocked if there's anybody here at 610 who can. Like, seriously, like, if Vern can give you that that in-depth analysis, I'm sure he probably gave it to you this morning or something. But I, I, I don't think any of us know. The Royals don't even know. This kid's going to be good. But from what you're hearing, what we're hearing, he has – the size, he has the strength to be a 25-plus home run hitter. 
could be he could be the team's future at catcher, could also move to the outfield, could be a two-way player. This kid throws 98 miles an hour, and uh, that's something that you don't find very often at the high school level. Well, that would speak a lot to apparently Max Prep says nobody stole any bases on him in the three years that they have been played. Nobody got safely. Right. Now, I don't know if Max Prep is totally up to date, but yeah. that's the numbers they've got here. And I, I sure as hell don't know the kind of competition that was trying to steal bases on him when he was playing in high school. Um, he was playing at the prep level and, you know, those, those prep guys are pretty serious about trying to make it to the majors. So, but the fact of the matter is this, what we see in the MLB draft is such a crapshoot, even more so than NFL, even more so than NBA. It's such a crapshoot. Guys get taken outside of the first round. They become superstars all the time. Uh, a lot of teams will find great signings from their international signings. Uh, Salvi was an international signing. I believe Alcides was when he was with the Brewers. De La well. Cruz was. De La Cruz was. Uh, a lot, you know, Fernando Tatis, I believe, was as well for the White Sox before he was traded to the Padres. Uh, a lot of these guys end up coming from so many different sources. And a lot of people were calling John Sherman cheap, which, if you know how this works, he's not being cheap because. Uh, they have to spend all that money. He can't just pocket whatever he didn't spend on that slot in the first round. He has to spend that money elsewhere in the draft. So at this point, it looks like they're trying to maximize value elsewhere. Maybe they were like, hey, we like this kid here, but we maybe like a kid who's valued in the second round, third round better. So I, I think that's kind of their thinking there. But I, for me, it's like everyone who's mad at the Royals about this they read a summary about that Teal kid from Virginia and was like, yeah, that's our guy. That's, that's who should, they should have drafted. They, they, they didn't watch him play. They didn't, they, they're not in depth on, on, on this Blake Mitchell kid. They didn't see him see They might, they might've sound like a highlight video on max preps or something, but they didn't do in-depth research. And I believe if you haven't done in-depth research on prospects, to me, I think you're being a little bit reactionary, like based on other people's reactions instead of kind of thinking for yourself. We don't know if this kid's going to be good. We don't know if any of these guys are going to be good. Like they could have taken the Teal kid and Teal ends up being a bust. In all likelihood, he probably will be a bust. Only 10% of minor leaguers make it to the majors. So it's not, it's not worth it to get mad about it now. Now, in two years, if he's out there in, in low-way Columbia and he's struggling to hit and he's hitting like 180 and he's letting guys steal on him and whatnot, and, well, now we can start having to talk about it. But baseball is very much one of those hindsight sports. And it's not a whole lot of, you know, we can uh, prognosticate ahead of time. I mean, I, I brought up Fernando Tatis a couple minutes ago. He was just a he was just a lottery ticket for the Padres when they traded when they when they traded for him. He was just a lottery ticket guy. He was not supposed to be this star player. He was like 17 year old, 17 years old when they got him and then he turned into a star player. So let's kind of hold off, let the Royals cook. This isn't Dayton Moore who's making these moves anymore. It's JJ Piccolo and I think JJ deserves an opportunity to show what he can do. If he fails, he fails. But I think at this point now, it's way too early to start getting outraged about draft picks. Well, to take a line from Moneyball, which I thought was a great line, they said there's no scout 
out there who can tell an 18-year-old kid that he's actually going to make it in the league. They truly don't know. It's just what they hope to happen from what they've gotten to evaluate in a small subset of what you did in high school. It's unlike any other sport. You know, at least if you're going to the NBA, you have a lot of people that, okay, you're going to the NBA, you probably played college ball or you, you went to a different league and was able to get some experience. In the, in the NFL, it's college players. You're going to get one, two, three seasons, four seasons if you stay the whole time. No, nobody can evaluate a high school player and tell you what you're going to be in five years. That's impossible. Yeah, it's so hard to do. Because there's a, there's a lot of growth that comes there. There's a lot of mental maturity that comes with it. And here's the thing. Coaching is important. Um, who you play against is important. There's a lot of factors that go into the growth of minor league players. Right now, I think it's just too early to prognosticate what will happen. I, I, I'm happy for the kid. Hopefully he is able to progress through the system. It'd be cool if we were able to get the heir apparent to Salvi out of the draft here. That'd be really awesome. Kevin, a 98 mile an hour <laughs> thrower behind the plate. Ain't nobody stealing a second on that kid. If he can, if he can locate that throw coming up next this weekend, we saw the summer league debut of the most hype NBA prospect since LeBron James and I, I'm going to give you my thoughts on, on this performance, why I think people are getting a little bit too ahead of themselves on them. Oh, There's a throwback right here. I was in the sixth grade. I was right before the sixth grade when this came out. Back in here on After Hours. 610 Sports Radio, the Odyssey app. Chris Nocero, Blake Schneider's here. We're about 34 minutes away from the start of the Home Run Derby. We will keep you updated on the goings-on at the Derby. I think I'm going to be in a better position to watch it than most people. Because unless Bert, is Berman doing it? Did he do it last year? Because, like, Berman has not been very good at it. The last, he just has the same stick, the back, 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 back. So terrible. Sounds like a duck. It's so bad. It's like, come on, you got to, you got to, you got to come up with some other calls here, you know? Give me a couple. It's high. It's deep. It's gone. Like, give me something else. You can't just give me the back, 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 but with every home run. Like, it's fine if you do it with one every now and then, but if that's the thing you say every time during the derby, it's it's repetitive. The Derby is the time where you should just start throwing out the most creative home run calls I you, know. can, you can you, come up with. Yeah, I'll tell you the guy who has the most creative calls is Mark Miller, who does the the Rockhurst games on uh, on sixty uh, sixty the bet. The, get out your calculator. He got some. He got some calls, man. He got some calls. Hey, that's that's the guy who needs to do it. He got some calls out here. So I want to talk about uh, the biggest story in basketball the last probably week now I uh man summer league started last week started in Sacramento last Monday I believe I was here and and the games were going on and then they transitioned over to Vegas which is like the big spot where they have it they have like an NBA convention there and I mean, it's it's big stuff. People like C dot went out there for it. Um, he was he was actually here on Monday, and he was looking at tickets for uh, the the Friday game to go see Wimbenyama. Because I mean, Wimbenyama has been hyped 
probably, I mean, probably about the the level that LeBron James was. I mean, he did, he hasn't hyped himself, but the media has hyped him about the level that LeBron was back in 03. And it's just crazy to watch because if you watch enough NBA basketball, you know that it takes years for these guys to become stars. LeBron wasn't he was he was way better than rookies than than rookies are normally his his rookie year. It's like 20 points per game. I mean, you could see the superstardom brimming from him. He was just a rookie. He was young. He was a kid playing in a man's league, and and it, it was difficult for him, but you could see the potential there, the talent there. And, and Wimbenyama on Friday went out there, and he struggled. He did not shoot well. He had, he had like nine points, eight boards, I believe. He had five blocks, but he was a turnover machine. He was getting pushed around when he was driving. I mean, just the ugliest jump shots. I mean, those three-point shots, he wasn't even in the rim. There was too many times where he would drive to the basket. And, and then, he could push. And then just, well, he would dish it when he had a yeah. wide open. And I'm like, it was like he was scared to take it the up. The dish was good because he was passing. Oh, no, well. his passing looked good because he was great. finding open guys. But it was like you could have taken that as well. But, I, you know. There were times where, like, he was he was driving and, like, the minute that there was contact, which, you know, in basketball, there's going to be contact when you drive to the basket unless you break someone's ankles. And every time there was contact, he was just falling over and losing the ball. I think one time when he was going for a, a rebound, um, like, he was, he, like, he was able to get it, I believe, and then he lost his balance and fell over. I mean, he's, so, he's seven foot three, so he's super tall. He's only 230 pounds, which sounds big, but when you're seven foot three, 230 pounds is not distributed the same way as it is on someone who's six foot eight, you know? And so watching him play, you could tell, A, he needs to hit the weight room. They announced today he's 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 not playing anymore. He actually played pretty well on Sunday, like 24 points, 12, 12 rebounds. That's really good for summer league. I mean, NBA game, like you do that, that's awesome. Well, he was 27, 12, and three. Yeah, with three actually, it was 27, 12, and three, yeah. So yeah, he 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 improved his his play a lot on Sunday night, but you could tell the kid is lacking in strength because he's so tall. He needs to add some weight. He needs to add some good weight, like they like they they say in sports. A lot of muscle for sure. And when you play at the NBA level, you're playing against grown men who are some of the strongest, most physically imposing people in sports. Those guys are freaks of nature. I've I've said this for years that they're the best athletes in the world, the guys who, who play in the NBA. And you got this kid who's not used to playing against guys like that. And so I kind of feel like we need to temper our expectations a little bit as a, you know, for his rookie year. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, he's a bust. Like I saw somebody try to compare him to Bull Bull. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. Bull Bull's been in the league for a minute. And hasn't done anything. Well, oh, hold on there. Don't don't take that slander too far because no, Bobo got injured the first year, had to grow into his body the second year. This year, actually had a pretty decent year compared to all of the other years. He was putting up boards. He was putting up good numbers. Then he had to taper off some of his uh, his starting time and minutes when some of their other guys came back are you, later. Are you, are you a Bobo truther? I am a Bobo truther, <laughs> man. I'll tell you what. The guy's got talent. He can do all the same things that Wimbenyama can do. It's just getting him in the right system at first. You know well, what I mean? So first year on a new team. Supposedly he's flirting with my Phoenix Suns. So, you know, oh, if he, I, hope, I hope you're right about him if he ends up with the Suns. If he I'm doesn't, not, I'm not I, saying I he's a world beater yet. I don't think he's going to be a world beater. I mean, if he could just be a good rebounder and defender, I'll take that. 
Um, if he can be better than his dad, he wins. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, his his dad was just this physically imposing guy. And that's the thing about Wimbenyama is that he's so tall and has so much reach. He doesn't have to jump very high no. to block your shot or just contest it. Like his shot contest without jumping is all, is incredibly difficult to shoot over. Like that's one of the things like immediately that'll make him an asset to the, the Spurs is the fact that he is so tall and so long that he's going to be incredibly difficult to shoot over. He's like, once he puts on some weight and doesn't get pushed around so much in the post, nobody's going to want to drive it with him sitting there in the post waiting to come help side him and, and block their shot. Well, and even if you do drive by him, he has the length enough to turn around and block it from over yeah. your head from behind. Exactly. He can recover. He did it like really three well. times the yeah. other day. So like defensively, he'll be great. I kind of worry about him rebounding is the more physical, like the Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid types who are like 50 pounds heavier than him. He's going to, I mean, he's going to get up to like 270, 280 at his height because Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid are both 280 and they're both like Embiid's seven foot. Jokic is a six eleven. Well, even in that summer league, both those summer leagues games, you never saw him. You, you know, like a classic rebound or a shack rebound where you go yeah, up just, and you snag that thing you, off the board and then clap that thing in your hands. Way. Yeah. You move guys. Out I didn't the way. see that one time from no. him. He looked timid kind of going to rebound. But. Yeah. Cause he knows he's small yeah. and he's trying not to get hurt. He knows these games don't matter. So, and I think that's one of the big reasons why they pulled him out. Hopefully he hits the, the, the weights. He gets on that, that San Antonio weight regiment there. Um, but I, I just feel like a lot of people kind of jump the gun. You can see the, uh, the potential, the talent, but all these kids, like a lot of people don't understand how hard it is. It's not, it's not as hard as baseball. I think baseball is the hardest sport to go from, from, to go from the amateurs to the major leagues. in. it's incredibly difficult. It's why it takes them years after they played in college, but NBA, just from a talent standpoint, it's so difficult developing your game there. And he's going to be playing against grown men. And he's going to get pushed around his rookie year. Uh, hopefully he gets stronger and he develops his game. Cause I think he's got a lot of talent coming up next. Uh, Chief Saholic, if you haven't heard, has been caught in California. Jay Binkley interviewed the Odyssey legal es- expert, Amy Dash on the ramifications of a legal case against him. And we will play that for you next. One of the biggest stories of the of the offseason here in Kansas City for the Chiefs hasn't even been about football. It's been about Chief Saholic, the Chiefs super fan, dresses up as a wolf, shows up to many of the road games and home games. And uh, he was uh, arrested for allegedly robbing a bank. Apparently, he was suspected of robbing multiple banks within the Midwest area here. And he was on house arrest after being caught and released on bail. Then he uh, cut that ankle bracelet off and went on the run. He was on the run for almost five months now, I think. So I think it was like right, right after the Super Bowl. Went on the run almost five months. Busted in Cali today. And now we're all going to be following, uh, I don't know, maybe one of the biggest court cases uh, involving 
someone related to Kansas City in a, in a, in a while here. And uh, Jay Binkley on the, it was filled in for CDOT on the drive. Talked to our Odyssey legal expert, Amy Dash, about the ramifications of this case. And uh, here it is now. Amy Dash is our uh, Odyssey legal insider. And Amy, uh, good afternoon. Quite a deal we have here in Kansas City. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be on with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Amy. How often have you followed along with this? Because in Kansas City, this has really like captivated this whole town, this whole story. Um, I see it from the listeners. We have a text line. You know, people text their own phones. What do they think about that? To get the MLB draft going on right now, but it seems like people wanted to talk about this rather than the Royals draft picks. Well, because I think this guy on social media made quite an impression and he had like tens of thousands of followers, right? So No, he did, uh, Amy. This is somebody I think who people had interacted with. So whenever you engage with somebody who shares the same passion as you, um, it just makes it all that much more surprising. Yeah, but people did fall along with him. I have a, a friend who got a picture with him with their kid in Tampa this year for a Chiefs game, Chiefs road game. He's in his wolf suit. And oh, I wow. remember when this whole story broke. They, they showed it to me. It's on Facebook and everything. I was like, whoa, that, that's the dude. Yeah, that's kind of upsetting because when you put the mascot costume on, you're, you're kind of advertising yourself as like a kid-friendly person. And so then when you have your child take a picture with somebody like that, and it turns out that they're arrested and suspected of a string of um, interstate bank robberies. Wow, that's pretty pretty hard to believe, right? Yeah, I, I guess it's shocking to think about it because you knew about the one in Oklahoma because that's what he was uh, was originally uh, in jail for down in Oklahoma, and he's been on the run here for a couple of months. And then you find out today with the FBI, which he was arrested out in California, but you had Minneapolis FBI and Kansas City and Memphis and you name it because this was a multi-state deal that involved money laundering as well, allegedly, uh, that went on at the casinos and everything else with money. This has a Netflix documentary or ESPN 30 for 30 written all over it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think the plot will only thicken. Um, it seems, though, that the FBI is in the midst of gathering more concrete evidence to try to support the other potential charges that could be coming down uh, the pike. I, it seems like right now they're not revealing a lot, but just merely saying that his cell phone was allegedly in areas where other bank robberies took place around the same time. Now, I don't know that you can convict somebody on that type of evidence, but it's certainly a start if they're able to get some more to bolster their case. So it it takes a lot more than just that as far as, I mean, they do have gloves and and sunglasses and things like that, but just because you happen to be and your cell phone pinged in certain areas, that's all circumstantial? Yeah, and the problem with that particular type of evidence is that the area usually is it casts like a broad net when they're looking at your where your cell phone is pinging from. It's not an exact location. They can't get that exact yet with the technology. So it could be like anywhere in the area. It's not necessarily saying that his cell phone was in that location of the exact exactly where the bank was. It could have been like a 100-mile radius or a 200-mile radius. And then there's also, you know, a lot of evidence that that type of um, technology is really not reliable and that you can get, you know, false positives with that kind of stuff. So it would, just that alone wouldn't be enough. So what's the, what's the, th- the big thing Chiefs Holic's looking at? Uh, will they go to all these bank robberies and try to prove them? 
or just one or two of them enough where they have the most evidence? Um, armed robbery or not armed robbery? I guess figuring out if the weapon was if, if figuring out if the weapon was loaded or not. How, how big a difference does that make? Don't just yeah, have I mean, one. So, yeah, well, bank robberies are very serious because there's the potential that somebody could be hurt, but there's also the usually commonly people are threatened to be hurt, and that's a form of assault already. If you go in. And what they're accusing this guy of doing is saying he came in with the ski mask on and the reflective goggles, and he passed the note to the teller allegedly saying that he had a gun on him. Um, it's unclear if he flashed a gun or not or if he actually had one or if, or if he actually you know, did commit this crime. But just putting somebody in fear of their life like that and the fact that bank robberies can go wrong so quickly and somebody could get killed or hurt so easily – um, makes the penalties for them much more severe. Now, and so, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I... Well, so right now he's only facing one charge um, related to a bank robbery in Oklahoma and then the charge of uh, transporting stolen property across state lines. So uh, bank robberies are almost always federal charges. Now the state can come in and prosecute also, so there could actually be a dual prosecution. But usually the feds will take over because it, it almost always involves some form of interstate commerce. So the fact that it's a federal charge makes it more serious. The fact that um, there's a potential for more charges to come and that he might be accused of a string of bank robberies, if there's evidence to support that, makes it serious um, because the penalties, can it could be up to 20 years in prison. But if you use a dangerous weapon, like you mentioned, um, it could carry up to 25 years in prison just for one charge. Um, that's unlikely. I've seen people like somebody recently last year was convicted in three bank robberies and got 12 years. So when you think about that, the, that the uh, penalty could go up to 25 years for one bank robbery. And then you say, well, what if he committed four or five bank robberies? Does that mean he's going to spend life in prison? Unlikely, um, because a lot of times you'll see, you know, these things pled down. And it, it, But still, 10 years, you know, up to 20 years or 25 years is substantial if he were to be convicted of, of multiple bank robberies. All right, so that's one thing, one issue. But what about the the laundering, allegedly, the, the money laundering and going across state lines and things like that? Then all of a sudden, you mentioned federal. You know, it's obviously a federal case when you when you allegedly have money that went over state lines. But the whole money laundering scheme and everything else, I mean, that that that's serious crime as, uh, in and of itself. Yep, yep. Federal men, money laundering penalties, another 10 to 20 years in prison, potentially, depending mm. on the circumstances. And then fines of, you know, up to half a million dollars or sometimes two times the value of the laundered funds. So that's extremely serious, too, if, in fact, that's what he was doing. Um, and it seems like they've been reviewing bank records, casino transaction records, and alleging that he purchased a million dollars in chips from casinos in different states, Missouri, Kansas, Illinois, in the span of a couple months back in uh, 2022, and then was allegedly laundering the money from the bank or multiple banks through these casino transactions and different bank accounts. So that's the case that they're looking to build against this guy. Well, so when you throw everything in together, so there could be plea deals with some of them, but if they put all the charges together and you have the money laundering and you have a weapon used and bank robberies allegedly and things that uh, he went through, you, minimum you're looking at, Probably is twenty years. What's the what's the maximum? Do you think at this point? I, I think minimum would probably be ten, um, depending on the circumstances. It really matters whether somebody was hurt in any of these bank robberies. 
if somebody was hurt, then it's a, it's like a totally different ball game. Um, but I think just given what I've seen with people who've been convicted in the past of multiple bank robberies, leaving out the money laundering aspect, uh, usually it's like in the teens, the number of years that they get. But yeah, if you want to add in the money laundering aspect, again, though, this will all depend on what his criminal history is, whether he even has a criminal history. If he doesn't, then he might fare better um, but he also fled. I mean, just yeah. fleeing uh, federal prosecution, you could get another couple of years tacked on just for that. And then let's not forget that he's probably not going to be eligible for bail now because he's a flight risk. So he's going to have to sit in jail. This could take months. It could take years. And I doubt they're going to let him out of jail after he was already uh, allegedly a fugitive for the past four months. It's unbelievable the uh, how this thing has kind of taken off. You know, super fan doing this. Of course, he didn't wear the wolf suit when he went and did this, but uh, I, I'd have to think, Amy, I don't know how much, how much you felt uh, were following this when it happened or where your interest level is. Cause I know, you know, as a society, we love Dateline and love mysteries and love stories and the stuff like that. And here, here, this was right in your own backyard in this town. Yeah, I actually covered it. I wrote a couple articles about it back December 21st, 2022, when he was first arrested. Um, and so I was very interested in it because um, I just, I, you know, in the past, here's what happened is that bank robberies have actually declined. There have been multiple articles about how bank robberies are not a popular crime anymore. Really? Because the penalties are just so severe, you know, and there's, like I said, so much that could go wrong. You bring a weapon into um, a bank and somebody gets injured or killed, you're looking at life in prison or the death penalty in some states. Um, and then a lot of times bank robberies are committed with a group of people. And even if somebody doesn't even step foot inside the bank, but they're driving the getaway car or whatever. And if somebody is killed in the commission of that felony, a lot of states have the felony murder rule where every single person that played any part in making that bank robbery happen, even if they were like, you know, in the brain room, you know, 10 miles away, helping out with the planning of it, they could get life in prison if somebody's killed in the commission of that. And a lot of times people might go in not intending to hurt anybody, but things happen. And then all of a sudden everybody's facing life in prison or the death penalty. So because of these harsh penalties and the potential for so much to go wrong, there haven't been a lot of bank robberies over the years. So to see somebody who may have committed a string of them and happens to be a popular mascot with 30,000 followers, yes, it's definitely a sensational story. No, it is. And will this be one of those things that we didn't find out about this? I mean, he was uh, apprehended in California Friday, just finding out about it on Monday. Very surprised in the news cycles the way they are now that you wait till then. And then you find out about it, all these other uh, banks or credit unions uh, that were allegedly robbed as well. And just trying to piece things together. Is this something that he probably could have walked from from several of these things, if not for just becoming a, such a big deal? trying to get all these you know cities to work together um is it something he could have walked from walked from, all away of from, them. from all of them yeah or is this something that you think they might have been just holding back um no i mean i think what they're doing is they're compiling evidence and maybe they didn't want the publicity train moving right away because they might have been concerned about being able to get witnesses to come forward sometimes when something gets a lot of attention people don't want to get involved or it's harder to gather evidence um but the fbi i think has been working on it for a while probably even before his first arrest 
um, compiling information because these bank robberies usually fall within the jurisdiction of the FBI because they involve government property. So I just think that, you know, for a while they've been trying to gather information and I don't see a lot in the complaint that I read. Um, And that's probably because they don't want to give any advantages to his defense team as they build a case, but they wouldn't have mentioned all these other potential robberies in different states if they didn't feel that they could prove that eventually. Uh, So now it'll be up to a federal federal grand jury, you know, which could probably happen very quickly about whether he will face just one charge um, or a multitude of charges or no charges. That's a possibility too, because it's up to the federal grand jury, but it sounds like they do have evidence in terms of potentially a weapon and witness testi- eyewitness testimony from that Oklahoma one. Is this going to be— Which, by uh, the way, was against the teacher's credit union yeah. that, that gives loans to teachers. So a couple uh. of them were banks, and a couple of them um, they're saying were credit unions that he may have been involved with. Is this a situation where defense attorneys will be lining up for this one to represent? I don't know about that because I don't know if this guy can pay their bills. It sounds like he's down on his luck if he's— allegedly robbing banks or at least one bank. So I don't know, uh, maybe for the publicity, if that's what you're getting yeah, at, yeah. maybe to, you know, yeah, maybe to get free promotion for their firm. That's, yeah. a, that's potential. Oh man. It's unbelievable stuff. But follow <laughs> along with Amy Dash. She'll keep you posted on this, but, uh, Amy Dash is our legal insider. Insider calls presented by BetQL. BetQL is here to help us all make better bets through real proven analytics, bet smarter, and beat the books. Download the BetQL app or visit BetQL.com today. Amy will be following along. Uh, This is definitely an interesting story, especially around these parts, but I'm not sure if it's just Kansas City either. It's Iowa that's interested. Tennessee's interested. I mean, Oklahoma's certainly interested, but in the rest of the country, I think, is actually interested in this as well because it's just unheard of. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that so many states were potentially involved and may have a connection to this person. Um, I think it's only going to get more interesting as more evidence comes out. So looking forward to seeing how how this uh, proceeds. And I, I wouldn't, you know, though I wouldn't think that, oh, this guy's going away for the rest of his life. A lot of times, you know, people do make out like bandits, no pun intended, and they'll just get a couple years. Uh, but certainly, you know, the money has to be recovered and restored, and nobody would have had to have been injured in the commission of any of the uh, alleged crimes. So if no one's injured and they can get a lot of the money back, he's looking at lesser charges, even with the money laundering or moving across state lines, allegedly. Yeah, because I think he'll be able to, if he has a good attorney, and like you said, the publicity will probably help, he'll be able to probably plead down a little bit. Um, If he makes a deal right away and it doesn't go to trial, then there's also an opportunity to get a lesser charge. If you go to trial, usually... Uh, it's up to a jury of your peers. So then you could see, you know, 10 years, 20 years. It just depends on the sentencing guidelines. And it also depends on whether the judge, if he is convicted for one or more, will let him serve the sentences uh, concurrently or cons- or if it has to be consecutively. That was the interview earlier on The Drive. Jay Binkley had on Amy Dash, our Odyssey legal insider. Uh, this is going to be the trial of the century, I think, here in Kansas City. I think this is going, I think there, I, 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 because he went on the run, I bet you, and, and, and maybe this is not logical, but I think that he's going to probably plead not guilty. I, he seems to think that he's, he's just uh, un, unbeatable. And yeah. uh, I mean, this is the type of story that you're going to end up making a, either a 30 for 30 or ESPN uh, 60 or something like that. I don't think it'll be that. I think what'll happen though 
is that somebody's going to make a documentary. Somebody that's not somebody will. Somebody that's not ESPN related. Maybe like maybe like um, Netflix. Somebody will make a doc a documentary. For, this will. This is definitely a Netflix story. For you know, sure, this is a hundred percent a Netflix story. I think. I think that's where we see that. This is a, a real sports with Brian Gumbel. I don't. I don't know. If, I don't know if Brian go. This seems like a beneath Brian Gumble here. This just seems like a some Kansas City filmmaker decides. You know what? I'm gonna and I'm gonna get his side. And there's gonna be like uh, like interviews from prison or whatever. And he's gonna be talking on the phone, telling his story. Maybe he actually gets an in person interview without the glass between them. That might be a thing too. I've actually seen a lot of crime docs. So you think they'll let him wear the wolf suit? Hundred percent no. Hundred percent no. He's he's gonna be. What is it Xavier Babadar? I think is his name that he's going to be, he's not going to be chief. Saholic. It's going to be Xavier Bobadar. He's not going to be wearing no wolf mask or nothing. He's just going to be there with his prison haircut and tattoos and all that. So um, Deandre Hopkins remains the biggest free agent available right now. And I tell you why his choice might be a little bit more difficult than he thought it was going to be coming up next. 